boomers! Welcome once again to another episode of Sonic the Comic the Podcast, your fortnightly online guide to the Sega-sational world of the 1990s and the UK's official Sega comic, Sonic the Comic. <laughs> we are the humans who think we're in charge. My name is Chris McFeely, and with me as always is... The very impressed Dave Bulmer. I just, I don't know how he remembers all of that. He spiel every time. <laughs> Listen, the secret is, I used to be able to do long division. And oh, now wow. my brain... I used to be able to, but I couldn't do it now. My brain retains things like this are not useful <laughs> life skills yeah you know exactly what's going to happen in issue number 50 of the sonic comic from 1995 but uh, i mean you remember what happens in issue 50 of this series i i, I don't i actually oh don't. you do no oh you, is it that one you think you don't oh is it that you one? do okay okay then i do <laughs> hello everybody it's sonic the comic we like it and this time, Amy's right on target, isn't she? She sure is. We're here with issue number 44, covered it in 3rd of February, 1995. Nearly said four, but it is 1995. Yeah, we've, we've progressed. I uh, know. Released on January 21st. And we've got a Carl Flint cover yes. of Amy doing some archery. And it is some amazing archery, because what it is, she's right in the front of the panel. She's doing it to a good pose, you know? She's got, like, her yep. feet are braced in a good position. She's obviously just fired an arrow, because her arrow holding hand is like open with her fingers pointing forward, bow right in our face, and behind her is Sonic looking cross, tapping his foot, arrow on his head. Suction cop arrow. Suction cop arrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hasn't yeah, shot through the head by that, any yes. <laughs> And she's using a an actual archery bow here and not her yes. already by now, I would say, trademark crossbow. Yeah, and so she's managed to fire an arrow basically in front of her and then boomerang round behind her and into Sonic's head. <laughs> yeah. And the whole background is a sort of archery target in black and white. Yeah, it's quite snazzy. It's quite a good cover. We should say as well, she's wearing her floral yes. print dress that we saw in the Christmas issue. But not with the black stuff underneath it right she had a black top on underneath oh yeah it, she did yeah and now she's well, got a green one yeah and uh i think we said at the time that this we would see this again but uh somebody commented on twitter that it would become basically her second most frequently seen outfit so oh, really? uh, i guess i don't remember it as well as that i mean i remember it because it was her first big outfit change but mm. uh well, we'll see where it crops up. Yeah. Bad Nick's Bridge, Explosive Sonic Story, Streets of Rage, Marco's Magic Football, plus Sonic and Knuckles' Q-Zone. Yep. Knuckles' own story not warranting a mention there. No, even though it actually finishes this issue. Yes. <laughs> we do still have, we should say we haven't pointed it out lately, but we do still have the little box under the logo saying, starring Sonic the Hedgehog. Plus, Plus Knuckles. Knuckles. So yeah. I think this may be the last issue in which they do that, since it is the last issue oh, yeah, of Knuckles' course. current strip. But uh, it's still there, just in case you were wondering. Yeah, it's still a hot ticket. It's still a pink hot ticket. Hot pink ticket. <laughs> Pin up. And before we open up the comic, we're going to turn over to the back cover, because there's a pinup on there this time, not an advert, a full page. Nicely I feel like we more. haven't had to flip to the back cover first in a while, no. Not in a while, no. This is a Casanova's. A big, full-page Casanova's pin-up. We've never seen the like. We haven't had a Casanova's pin-up before. No, we haven't, have we? And the concept's quite interesting as well. So it's sort of... I don't know whether to describe the top half first or the bottom half first. <laughs> well, the main bulk of the poster is tails dragging along a rather unhappy looking sonic behind him yeah as this big scaly fantasy monster swipes its claws after them and then as we pan down we see <laughs> that it's just tails leaning up against the log sleeping dreaming of being the hero yeah it's it's a good one 
I really like it. Yeah, it's cute. I mean, it's a Casanova's piece of artwork of Tails where he's not going bad. Do you know? So it's got that going for it. If, his Tails is here look, I think, quite different to the ones that we got in his actual Tails strips. Without them here to compare, I'm not sure what exactly the difference is. Maybe it's just the mouth. <laughs> it could be, yeah. Maybe it's just the nudeness. Yeah, I was going to say, he's also not, yeah, and we didn't really see him not wearing his, there have been a bit of him not wearing his armour, but yeah. It might be the proportions too. Looks Maybe. a bit more classically Sonic proportion. That's it. But when we commented last issue, and, and I'm sure we'll say it again, as Casanovas is still drawing the interior Sonic strip this issue, that he's just come a long way in a short time as far as mastering the style and proportions of Sonic characters has gone. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing I would comment on in either Sonic or Tails on this pinup. Yep, it all looks good. It's them. And it's Casanovas, so it's just generally good. Hooray! Monster's good, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, that <laughs> yeah, that, that mean... goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, And it's it's very good. It's covered in veins and bubbles and muscular lumps and horns yes. and spokes. Spikes <laughs> and spines and... Suckers on his tail. Antennas and, yeah, nasty, pockmarked. Nasty. Looks like it'd be sticky if you touched it. Yeah. Let's pop her open. Boy, it's an uneventful control zone this week, isn't it, Dave? It is a bit, yeah. They're just telling you there's a comic and they're reminding yeah. you that it's finished being Christmas now. And Yeah, stop reminding me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what does Megadroid say? Yeah, I couldn't quite fathom his first sentence here. Okay. A belated thanks to those of you who snowed under the humans who think they're in charge with Christmas cards. At least I didn't have to look at their faces for a while. A-readers, boom, boom, way. <laughs> Couldn't quite read that sentence properly for some reason. Who snowed under the Humes, yeah. Yes, it's because, yeah, we recognise snowed under, or I've been snowed under by these letters, but it's turning that into a, a verb, you know? The, those yeah, of you exactly. Who snowed under the Humes who think they're in charge. And also, snowed is in italics, and it's the only reason it's there at all, is because they wanted to do a snow joke. A belated thanks to those of you who left the Humes in charge snowed under with Christmas cards. There you go. There you, that's it. There you go. Boy, you should have been the editor of this one. I know, Richard. Come on. I was right there. I was 11. No, what age was I now? No, I was... Uh, no, I was 12 at this point. Yeah. Hang on, a couple of months before 13 arrives. Yeah, we're heading God, to 13. 13! I know! Crazed! The, the, the day my first friend turned 13 was the weirdest experience for me because he was the kid who I would go around to his house to walk to the school bus together. So I get there, it's his birthday, and he's got all these cards out and stuff, and they're all like, now you're a teenager cards. Right, right. And I disagreed. (laughs) Even in my mind now, as I real... Like, so we're agreed. The move (laughs) into 1995 here is triggering some primal fear in us. Yeah, there is a growing up (laughs) that happened. I'm looking back on it. I'm realising I turned 13 this year. And even now, as an adult who is substantially (laughs) older than that... Older even than 13. I'm thinking, oh God, 13. Teenage dumb. And And that is a load of old rot, isn't it? It's nothing. You know nothing when you're 13. You are no closer to... Films and TV have conditioned you into thinking this is some kind of big turning point in your life. I mean, I am 13. No, you know (laughs) nothing. You shouldn't even be allowed to cross the street on your own. (laughs) No, a 13-year-old is exactly the same thing as a 9-year-old. They're tiny and sweet. And I disagreed, though, at the time. When I saw his cards, I was like, no, we're not teenagers. You're not a teenager until you're at least 16. <laughs> doesn't matter <laughs> if it says cultural teen. cultural perception of what a teenager is. Yeah. 
you're technically and literally a teenager, but it's like in that same cultural perception, you stop being a teenager before you turn 20. Once yeah. you become like 18 or 19, you're an adult. Oh, yeah, that's not different. You're a teenager anymore, even though technically, legally, you know, as far as the numbers go, you're yeah. still a teenager. His mum had bought him a birthday card with a topless woman on it. I was like, Ugh. not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> calling her out by name on air it's not, it's not going in <laughs> no oh god it, that was i felt weird that day that no that was not quite right but anyway yeah and this would have been the year you'd turn 13 yourself well that's yeah. what i mean and i was you yeah. know hot on the heels but in retrospect 1995 even though i turn 13 in it and spend most of it 13 it's a fun childhood year it's a kiddie year of kiddie fun being an age where you're definitely a kid but i tell you what you are at least when you're 13 is you're a cool kid now <laughs> okay dave that baseball cap that's more backwards than it's ever been before <laughs> so backwards it's come right the way around to the front again <laughs> so let's enter it with Megadroid. I mean, yeah, there's nothing to say, though. Megadroid, he literally just lists the contents of the issue. <laughs> That's it, you know. He, he doesn't even have any flavour to add besides that. He just lists the contents of the issue. I did appreciate the one little gag he made here where he said, Marco's still not walking alone thanks to his magic football. Yes, because for some reason, to our non-UK listeners, you'll never walk alone. The song from the second Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, Carousel, which is about someone who's just been stabbed and died, and I think it's sung to his daughter to cheer her up. That's a football song, for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think I actually knew it was from a musical, so I learned something here today. Oh, uh, yeah. So it's the football song to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's specifically a Liverpool football song, but I think others... Because Okay, I don't know much about football, but, right, this ties in with musicals, so I know this. Tell you what you are, at least when you're 13, is you're a cool kid now. It was a Liverpudlian group that brought out a record of it where it was a little bit more upbeat than it is in the musical and so uh, the local football team took that to heart and then it spread and said there you go that's why it's a football i song. see yeah uh so that is a joke that megadroid is dropping for us to do with football then in the middle we have the sonic summer special winners you thought yeah, we took their blooming time i know it's they? been ages since this next six summer. months you thought we'd forgotten didn't you boomers well we haven't because here are the winners of the sonic special slash tomi competition listed alphabetically below are the 40 winners however the 90 runners up will have to wait until the next issue when all will be revealed <laughs> they're trying to make content out of this absolute nothing i know i don't even remember what the prizes were but no. there were a lot hang on what it says here yeah First prize winners each receive a package containing a Sonic Puzzle Ball, a Sonic Duel. That's the thing we played where they're fighting on the little arena. Oh, this the spin, the the little Beyblade Sonics. Yeah. <laughs> Second prize winners will each receive a package containing a Sonic Chargey. That was a little tiny remote control yeah. car yeah, remember, that yeah. would bumble around. You plugged the remote into it or something, didn't you? And it, it charged it. Something oh, like is that why? I don't know. Yeah. And a Sonic Flexi Friend. That's like a Proposable. I swear I don't remember that being in the contest. I'm now remembering it as we talk about it now, but I wouldn't remember it un unprompted. Third prize winners will receive either a cuddly toy or a Sonic Cyclone. Do we remember what the Sonic Cyclone was? Nope. No idea. Doing badly. I am going to tweet out if anyone knows what it is, and we'll see if anyone replies by the end of the thing. Okay, no, Grant White has told us what it is. And yeah, absolutely right. I'd completely forgotten this. It's the thing that's like 
crossfire or something. It's the thing that's like a a oh, board yeah, gamey sort yeah, of arena yeah. with like s- characters that stand up and, and things you slide around the outside edge and I don't know I, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're shooting something. Yeah, shooting little discs and pretending they're rings and there are little Porker Lewis pegs that you use for something or other. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I do not even remember that from the special. I no. feel sure it must have been pictured in it, but it I was. don't remember it. I do now, because I remember yeah. being interested in it, but yeah. It has been six blood months since we did that uh, special. Yeah, that's the thing. And even though so it feels long. like we just did the Sonic Terminator yesterday, that <laughs> summer special feels like it was so much longer ago than that. Yeah. And fourth prize winners will each receive a Sonic Puzzle Ball. Oh, that was a big contest, wasn't it? The Sega Charts. A couple of new entries in the charts, too. Micro Machines 2 in at number four, and Jimmy White's Whirlwind oh, Snooker in at number six. Get that paper, Archer. Sonic and Knuckles holding fast at spot number three. Yeah, so FIFA's at the top, but oh well, at least Sonic and Knuckles and Lion King are in there, and I like them. Sonic. Badnik's Bridge, Part 2, written by Nigel Kitching, art by Casanovas, colours by John M. Burns, and letters by Ellie DeVille. Amy and Johnny arrive at the Emerald Valley Bridge in the biplane, just in time to watch Sonic unscrew the cage in which he is imprisoned and to catch him as he falls. Now aware of the hero's plan to blow up the Death Egg thruster they are transporting, Trooper Badnik sweep the bridge and find the mines Sonic planted. Ever resourceful, Sonic immobilises the transporter by removing its wheels at super speed, and Amy then detonates the mines with a well-placed arrow, destroying the thruster. So, again, like last issue... God, it's gorgeous, isn't it? It's so gorgeous! Ooh, lots of lovely big panels happening again. A whole entire full-page spread oh. given over to the exploding thruster as the biplane loop-de-loops away. And there's so much. There's Sonic stuff. There's Badnik stuff. There's Robotnik and Grimer stuff. It's all here. There's Amy and Johnny. There's... It's... We get a look at uh, Casanova's drawing regular Badniks as well, so now we see the oh, yeah. differences between them and the SBS trooper with the cage arm that's holding Sonic, and he is extra spiky and extra scary <laughs> eyes and the like. Yeah. He was supposed to look that way. <laughs> we weren't <laughs> sure last issue if that was just an affectation or if it was because he was a special type. Casanova's is great. And I just want to see more. And and I, I kind of... What I was about to say is, and I know we don't get very much more, but then I didn't know we got this. So what, uh, who am I to remember anything? I can remember at least one more. Right. He does the one that comes after the big Sonic Knuckles adaptation. Oh, okay. That'll be a treat then. That'll help us to come down from such now, a... Win. After that... I don't know. Mm-hmm. I love these bits. Like uh, it's just a lot of fun moments. Like like unscrew. He couldn't break the cage he was trapped in, yeah. so he unscrews it. So he spins he around, a big and, spin around and around and, it, and around and around yeah. inside the cage and just busts it, it open. Just comes Ba-ching! off. Just pops off his arm. Yeah, that's brilliant. Or when he leaps off the bridge and Johnny's like, I, I didn't think he was going to do that, <laughs> and then it's not sure if he's going to be able to fly in and catch him. And he, he just grabs onto the biplane wing with one hand as he falls, and it's like, hey, right time, right place, little buddy. Can't you signal before you jump? I wouldn't be anywhere near. It's cool. <laughs> I was going to say, is it like Amy's first big hero moment in a kitchen script? But I suppose she helped end the fight with the pirates back in the oh, uh, original true. Mystic Cave story, even though she was in a cage when she did it. 
but here we have her. Well, that's true, but yeah, you have commented recently that Nigel wasn't using Amy enough, and he's turned around on that. This is some great yes. Amy use. Found a role for her. As we say, though, like the cover, she's using an ordinary archery bow instead of her usual crossbow. Not even the big fancy six-barreled crossbow she used in the archery show last issue. Yes. I mean, what it presumably is, is just that Casanovas didn't know that she had a trademark thing. But yeah, it makes it look as if she's just an expert marksman with any bow you give her. She can just pick up anything. As she fires her arrow at the mine, she says, I'm not called Aim for nothing, Mm. which I didn't get when I was a kid and which you, yeah, it feels like there's a little bit missing. (laughs) Yeah, I picked up on that. And in fact, another couple of moments that I wrote down. So as I was reading it that bit, I was like, "Mm, I'm not called Aim for nothing. And I thought, well, surely you go Aim down. E. I'm not called Amy uh, for nothing, yeah. you know. I'm not called it. It would make sense if, like, Aim was her nickname or something. Yeah, like if anyone had ever called her Aim. Like but nobody ever has, yeah. And then there's another bit. So what she does, she says, you can call me Aim for nothing, and she manages from the plane to fire this arrow directly onto the tiny button on the top of a tiny mine miles away on this bridge and it blows up the whole thing including the rockets and it all goes up with you know the fuel from the rocket explodes as well so it is this full page incredible picture it all blowing up it's great and then Mm. sonic who's on the plane again at this point he goes get out of here johnny as the plane flies off yeah that was weird as well it made me think yeah because they're in the air and johnny hasn't said anything to annoy him so what he means is get us out of here and there's or or let's get out of here let's get out of here There's almost even room for an us there. And that made me think, oh, this is odd. And then, what was the other bit? There was one more bit. Oh, yeah. This bit I found really interesting. What's actually going on here in in this script? Normally, when Nigel writes something, I just innately connect to it. But Sonic's just done one of his stunts where he jumps off the bridge and... Johnny has to fly the plane down and catch him on, on the wing. And he, he hasn't had enough warning, so he's like, oh, he has to really drag it down there. And they have a little bit of banter about, can't you signal before you jump? And then Sonic, on the wing of the plane, says to Amy, Amy, look in the back for your bow. And she says, sure thing, Sonic. And I thought that was a bit weird. And then Johnny goes, what's yeah. going on? And she goes, hold steady, Johnny. And it's like Sonic and Amy have somehow communicated Something just by Sonic saying, look in the back for your bow. It just, it struck me as weird. Look in the back for your bow. Why would he say that? And then I realised... Why would he even know that her bow was in the back of the plane? In the back. Yeah. And I remembered that ages ago, Nigel sent me the script for this one. Along with, you know, for this, for the purpose of this podcast, he sent a batch of scripts for the ones we were reading at the time, which was the Sonic CD stories. And they just happened to go as far as this. And I'd completely forgotten for ages because, you know, we haven't had a big, long Nigel series Mm. since Sonic 3. And so I thought I'd dig it up. And I was fascinated to find what I found, which is that this script is copy-edited to within an inch of its life. Like, nearly nothing that's in the script is the same in the final comic. The story is identical. Yeah, it is. It's literally just the dialogue that's changed. Yes. And it hasn't even been changed to anything different. It's just the precise wording of it. It's, yeah. it's, it's strange. It's really weird. To be honest, I think a lot of the finished dialogue reads a little better than what's in the script. Ah. But it does lead to a few spots. Yeah, like the ones that we've pointed out here where it does feel like there's also like some copy editing errors or some information that's not being fully communicated. Yeah! And so, to focus on one, to give you an example, that bit where he says in the comic, Amy, look in the back for your bow and Amy says, sure thing, Sonic. Here's how that actually goes in the script. Sonic says... Amy, you have your bow, right? No mention of the back. No mention of the back of the plane. Amy, you have your bow, right? And then he says, 
the second from front personnel carrier, look in the back. And Amy goes, what? Oh, I see what you mean. And Johnny says, what's going on? And Amy says, just hold her steady, Johnny. So in this version in the script, he's not saying look for your bow in the back of the plane. He's saying get your bow, look in the back of the personnel carrier down there. She looks down and goes, oh, they've communicated a plan. Johnny doesn't know what it is, so what's happening? She goes, don't worry about it, I've just got it. Just hold the thing steady. It does feel like it's an editor who didn't understand the specific intention of the original dialogue. Exactly. Has found a way to pare down and simplify. Because, to be honest, that does sound like a lot of speech bubbles for the amount of real estate that they have to play with here across these two panels. yeah. And particularly in that panel, it makes a lot Mm. of sense to me that you would want to reduce it to hold steady Johnny rather than anything long just hold her steady johnny because yeah. yeah there is no room for dialogue so that makes sense but i wouldn't say the same about the plane panel like there's loads of room on that one ah, but you don't want to cover it because it looks so good <laughs> that's true <laughs> but yeah no that it's been pared down without understanding of, of what they're actually doing well i mean it also requires sonic to say something well there's not an awful lot to say about the story of this so this is a bit of basic comic construction here yeah. there's a nice bit of empty space in the top left of this panel where you can put a speech bubble no problem at all yeah and the way the panel is structured, it's the plane flying right to left. So Sonic is in the leftmost portion of the panel, and then Amy is in the seat of the plane to the right. Yeah. But if there are that many speech bubbles in the in the panel, what results is you need Sonic to say something, then Amy to say something, then Sonic to say something again, then Amy to say something again. Yeah. So that's a lot of overlapping tails connecting balloons that have to go over the top of one another and uh, with characters who aren't... Yeah, so, it's very understandable to me why they would try and mm. pare it down so that it flows better along with the artwork. Uh, but yes, the result is that it's somebody who didn't quite get That's what the it. original dialogue was saying and has has simplified it so that it's not wrong, but ill-fitting. Yeah, and also, it's Ellie DeVille doing the lettering. And I think she could have worked out a way to do that. We know from previous examples, Ellie DeVille doesn't do this. She doesn't just change the dialogue. No, no, no. Because we've had previous scripts and it's all been fairly close. So this is an editor has done this in between. Given that script to Ellie DeVille, I think Ellie could have fitted it in. I think she, you know, would have arranged the balloons in a way that would have worked. But who knows? I don't know to what extent it's just part of the job. But as we've seen from looking at the scripts and comparing them to the comic, it's something that has happened suddenly now Mm. when there's been a change of editor. Yes, because we pointed this out not so long ago, is that Deborah Tate Mm. has become the editor not so long ago. And remains the editor throughout the rest of that period that I'm talking about. So this is a new approach to editing the comic, which suggests it might be something that Deborah Tate likes to do. Well, I don't know. I mean, let's not... Let's not... No. Well, I was going to say let's not attribute intentions, but, I mean, my guess was that this being a big Amy-heavy story... Um, giving the big climactic hero moment to her may have meant that Deborah, who we know wanted Amy to be presented well in the comic, yeah. you know, perhaps she micromanaged the script of this one. Again, in this one panel instance, it turns Amy from not knowing what's going on and having to be told to oh. clocking on and immediately figuring it out and taking care of it herself, you know? Little things like oh, that. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, you've got a point there. So yeah, little interesting things like that throughout this script. And it means that a certain amount of sort of authorial voice has now changed with Nigel that wasn't there before. And as a kid, I didn't notice it. You couldn't say that this doesn't sound like a regular issue of Sonic, you know? No, a regular issue of Sonic, yeah. But um, it is different. And I know that because I noticed, you know? I was like, oh, that's a weird thing to say. Oh, that's a weird thing to say. Which normally I don't get from a Nigel script. There are ones that I wouldn't have noticed. Like, you know, when Robotnik says, I curse that hideous hedgehog. 
actually he says something like that cursed hedgehog has foiled my plans again in the script you know so something that doesn't matter and that's what's so interesting about it like you said earlier chris the most of the changes which are kind of constant and it's nearly every balloon in this issue don't actually change the story bizarrely pronounced here to look at this mm. one but again you look at that example again there's not a lot of space to get that particular speech yes. bubble into you know, yes that, that is definitely the most dynamic and economic positioning of that speech bubble that you could possibly pull off in that panel as printed and i don't know how well a, a longer sentence would fit into that space yeah it'd be interesting to have a look at um you know, lesser edited ones and see... Because, of course, you know, when mm. we when we see one where they have covered up the artwork with dialogue, we don't notice because that's just how it's always been to us, you know. But there's something about Casanova's artwork mm. particularly. It's so full of fussy little details everywhere. Yeah, yeah, there's so much going on in it that I'm sitting here thinking now, I don't think there's been a Casanova's kitching team-up before now. No, I don't think so. I mean, in last issue, we were just saying about how much it felt like the script had been written for an artist of his calibre with all the big panels and <gasps> yes! spreads and splashes to fit into. I mean, we have a full-page spread in this one, but then to kind of flip that around this issue, where we, we find instead that a lot of the dialogue seems to have been edited for maybe not the only reason, but in some cases, yeah, to fit the speech bubbles yeah. into such beautiful panels without having to cover them up or uh, just to fit into the shape of them yeah. and the artwork around them. It's interesting. These are the questions we'll never have true, full, proper answers yeah. to, you know? So it's all just speculation. You don't want to get lost in the speculation. You know, we don't often ponder the mechanics of the construction mm. of this comic as often as that. We've we've um, settled into a rhythm with it now. But it's interesting to wonder at this point when we can, as adults, look back on it yeah. and, and clock that. And find something more that we didn't have before. It's mm. Yeah, it's interesting to have this evidence to have a look at. I know, having done it myself, you know, writing gumbo comics for Abby, for example, loads of times I'll have written out a script and she'll have drawn it and I'll go, well, she's drawn it. I don't need them to say this. So I'll pare down the dialogue myself. Yeah. And uh, I guess that's some of what's happening here. I doubt very much that there was any kind of problem with the dialogue, yeah. you know but just that needs must in certain cases. But as you say, it'll be very interesting to see in the future what sort of examples we can find and how it'll stand out. Yeah. And believe you me, boy oh my lad, hmm? the future looms large at the end of this one, doesn't it? Oh, Ooh. doesn't it? Oh. Yeah, the thruster's destroyed, but we end on a panel of Robotnik fuming big cartoon smoke tufts coming out the ears, saying, I must begin work on another thruster immediately. Nothing can stop me from repairing the death egg and i will finally find a way to rule supreme and the next issue is called the day of the death egg oh my goodness oh, it's all snowballing here it's going <laughs> you know i realized um after we recorded our last episode we also totally glossed over a moment from last uh, issue yeah because there's a sonic johnny and amy story oh and yes, there's this we little did. tiny moment in the previous issue where johnny tells amy she's like as a two-parter this story is structured in such a way to introduce amy and her bow and her sharpshooting skills as the opening beat to then set up if you've never read sonic mm -hmm. the comic before and that's your first story that you've read in it to set up her bow for the important final beat that it's required to end the story on but there's this moment where johnny says you're a real star with the bow amy you know really driving home amy bow important for later and sonic just makes a joke that he didn't know johnny had eyes for her and johnny gets all defensive and says, of course i don't and that's as much as is ever said about it yeah 
until next summer. And we'll leave it till then. Oh. <laughs> Refuse! God, the review zone's back up to three pages is, this issue. It? It's been a long time since we had one of those. And with a pin-up on the back cover. Ooh, I think the advertising revenue was low at the start of the year, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just, it's pretty bog standard. You know, companies blow all their money and uh, mm. they run up to Christmas and then they, they don't, uh, as a YouTuber. Yes. <laughs> I, I know <laughs> that there's not a lot of advertising revenue going about in January. Um, so, yeah, yeah. We got a three-page review zone pin-up on the back, yeah. And what's in the review zone there? Well, we got Shaq Fu. So, it looks like we're well and truly in the Street Fighter clones era of gaming. It seems like there's another Mm. one every issue at this point. The difference compared to Doom and the Doom clone era, though, is that, like, Street Fighter's first noteworthy clone, Mortal Kombat, was already incredibly successful and, like, it's you know, still endures now. So it's no surprise that lots of people will be trying to replicate it. And here's another one. This is Shaq. I don't know who that is. It's a sportman. I mean, Shaq Fu is almost a punchline today, you know? Is it? As far as weird, dumb 90s (laughs) video games about sports personalities go, you know? But it makes sense that it would. Don't forget, this is the same environment that yielded a Space Jam not so very far from now. Well, it makes sense that it would because, yeah, this is a game in which what I understand to be a basketball player is now, for this game, a martial artist. In a street fight. Was this a tie? Was there a film? Was this a tie-in? No, oh God, no. So this is just literally someone decided to make a Street Fighter game about a basketball player. That's weird. Well, the question is, did they decide to make a beat-em-up? Oh, oh. Or, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> a fighting game, apparently that's what we call them now. <laughs> it says right here. Says beat right up, here. Says beat him up, up here. But anyway, apparently that's wrong. With <laughs> I've seen commentary. Yes. At this point, anyway, um, <laughs> did they just decide to make a fighting game and then go for some kind of you know License. licensed yeah. tie-in thing and get Shaq in there? I bet that's what it is. And if you could probably, in fact, yeah, you could make a game with like an open-ended main player character, couldn't you? And make everybody else, yeah. and then go like, well, whoever it is is going to have these. Or moves. maybe Shaq just really wanted to be. Maybe the yeah. idea came first to make a game about Shaq, and he was like, "I'd love a fighting game about me. <laughs> Let's do a quick look up. Let's just read the old." Um, Whilst out on a sightseeing tour of downtown Hong Kong before an all-star charity game, Shaq meets an old man who sends him on a quest to free the second world from the evil Set-Ra and the loyal Beast. It is known that only the Chosen One can defeat Set-Ra, and so all hope is pinned on Shaq. Well, I've never understood why we need a story for a good beat-em-up anyway. <laughs> this is from Nick Protz, this particular review. Nice to see him again. Jenny Fromer in this one as well, along with Dave Gibbon. Chris, I've looked up the development history of this game, and it's lovely. Oh, yes. It's basically what you said. They pitched a basketball game, and then when they got in the room with Shaquille O'Neal, or Shaq, he was like, listen, guys... I really like Mortal Kombat. Can I have one of them, please? Oh, so nice. I actually love that. I love that. I love the honesty of it. Yes, it turned out to be a 75% game that does nothing new for the format, to quote from the box here. But I love that. I I, I love that it was born of an honest place. Even that (laughs) is actually mentioned here. They said uh, Delphine, whoever that is, presumably the people who made the game, Delphine acknowledged they could not compete directly with Street Fighter 2 from a technical perspective, so instead they built a game that highlighted the 
team's strengths at computer animations. So it's presumably it looks great, doesn't play as well. And they did all rotoscoping and stuff for it. Oh, yeah. It's funny how um, Pratt's here really goes out of his way to point out that it's not as gory as yeah. Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter 2. Oh, Weirdly, yeah. Street Fighter 2 is not gory. Is that gory, gory at know? all? No. Still lags a long way behind Street Fighter 2 and Mortal Kombat, but is far less gory than its two big-name predecessors, which makes it marginally more suitable for younger players. Right. Well, I'm not sure what they mean by that in Street Fighter. Do you even have, like, drops of blood no. going off behind people when you punch them on. maybe you get a bloody nose if you're dazed maybe, but, but yeah i'm not remembering as much as it is you know yeah. then what else we got jenny fromer doing <sighs> right international tour tennis for the mega drive dave you're not going to know the answer to no. this so this is a sort of general question i throw to the void do they still make tennis games <laughs> <laughs> like they still yeah, make football games and they still make basketball games do they make any other sports games anymore? Because back in the day, you had your snooker, you had your tennis, you uh, had your cricket, you had your golf. Do they make anything except NBA Jam and FIFA International anymore? I tell you, I think I know why. And it's because those are games, like tennis is a game that is great for making old... I mean, they make Mario Tennis. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's slightly different. Tennis is a game that's great for making old-fashioned video games about because... Ideally, you'd look at the pitch from a fixed angle. Yeah, yeah, oh, good point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas with football games, you can whiz around all over the place with the camera. You can do all sorts yeah. of things. Yeah, I suppose big, super fancy mm. AAA graphics today That's it. You, what, what wouldn't can be you in any do? way conducive to tennis, would no. they? Yeah. Whereas, I feel yeah. like I would... Maybe this exists, but I feel like I would quite like to see some of the sports whose games are firmly lodged in the 16-bit past, uh, you know, getting sort of, you know, crowd-funded, silly video games now. I think I quite enjoy it. You know, like Behold the Kickmen for football, but a tennis one. <laughs> I don't know that one. Oh, though, it, but... it, apparently it's a... I, I've been told to play this again and again whenever I talk about how much football annoys me. It's a football game made by someone just as annoyed and clueless about football as me. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just Calvin Ball, basically. It's just all made up and stupid. Nice. <laughs> Speaking of AAA graphics, uh, Jenny Frommer, she goes out of her way to say how electronic arts have done a good job with the graphics, and I can't say as I believe the screenshots really pack that one up. It's just really normal, isn't it? So plain, yeah. yeah. Even by the standards of 16-bit sporting games, she says uh, there are times when you can only see the player's feet, which I assume refers to whenever the player's on the opposite side of the court back all the, the way cameras down to the edge, so that it's only their feet poking in from the top of the screen. Yeah. Oh, it's tennis, you know. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Plenty of gameplay options, too slow between serves, 83%. Tennis is one of those sports where once someone has made a good video game of it, it's done. <laughs> There's a point here where it does feel like the review just gave up. <laughs> the serve and volley is tough to master, but after a few rallies, you'll be using the entire range of shots. The lob. Top spin, <laughs> underslice, drop shot. And I'm like, stop. Flixwend. Stop just saying Quiddle tennis bid. things. <laughs> Trem flops. Exactly. Wadge quiddle. How many mega shits <laughs> to the terrafart does it get? Like, nothing. I've made up the word twadge quiddle just there, and it sounds ever so rude, and I can't justify why. <laughs> just, it's just, uh, yeah. I'm just, uh, There's a couple of things at work in there. Just nipping off for a sneaky twadge quiddle while you're uh, distracted. <laughs> You'll go blind. <laughs> 
Turn the page. Oh, this was fascinating. Oh, here we the go. third page. I love this one. <laughs> David Gibbon reviews Rebel Assault for the Mega CD. It's a Star Wars yep. game. And the f- I this 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 is just a review of a video game. It is a fascinating cultural artifact this <laughs> one page review an isolated spot in time spot in the world here specifically in the uk where this comic for 11 year olds maybe gotta tell you what star wars was yes oh uh, yeah i know <laughs> since we're a time capsule podcast here is the opening line it's hard to believe that it's 16 years since star wars first appeared on cinema screens and that number didn't make any sense to me at first because it's been 18 years. Oh, was it? <laughs> but I guess... Well, yeah, because this is 95, but I guess obviously he would have written this in 94, so that's minus one right. year. And then I guess Star Wars came out in, in the, the UK, UK one year after when it came out in the yes. US. Yes. So that makes it 16. Mads podcast. <laughs> the other thing is they, they keep spelling everything wrong. Right, yeah, that's the other part <laughs> of it. Like, it has to... Like, created by the legendary George Lucas, the film has recently... He's only legendary because of Star Wars. The film has recently <laughs> been re-released on video and is still considered one of the greatest space productions ever crammed with special effects the storyline revolves around a fight between the empire baddies darth vader and the stormtroopers and the rebel forces goodies luke skywalker and obi-wan kenobi Kenobi. and it's like that you have spelled obi-wan kenobi and darth vader both wrong while feeling it necessary to explain the plot of star wars (laughs) it's wonderful it's wonderful i love it it's just such a it's like it's like not long before this, this wouldn't have been necessary, yeah. and not long yeah. after this, it won't be necessary because we're only two years out from the special editions, yep. uh, which is when I first uh, saw Star Wars. But it's just this, this precise, yeah, mm, right there in the early to mid nineteen nineties, whenever you were young and Star Wars had d- quietly died off, and then, you know, Power of the Force hadn't st- kicked in yet. And know? yet, when I went to look up this game, it's very much a fanboy's game. It's all mm. like, oh, I'm doing the Kessel Run. Oh, I'm doing Beggar's Canyon. That's actually what I don't know if they do the Kessel Run. It's all like references and stuff. That's literally all Star Wars ever was <laughs> from the moment the original trilogy ended <laughs> until the prequel trilogy began. It was just nerds walking themselves off with references to the Star Wars. Well, that's what this is. And there's... So in the game, you are going down a video of a canyon and you are just turning corners and, and aiming a little reticule and shooting things. And then you end up doing that in space. And now and then they'll do a clip from Star Wars. But it's like, I've never seen footage as bad as this on any other Mega CD game <laughs> that I've looked at. It's Not even on the Mega CD. <laughs> no, yeah, it's the worst I've ever seen. It's the most, like, compressed kind of... But it just the... Whatever the codec is they've used for it, it's awful. It's just like Lego bricks and zizzy lines and things and... It's bad. Yeah, this doesn't look good, I'm afraid. 78% the final review says. It says it has uh, various glitches and things, badly digitized walls that it's hard to work out how to turn in. Yeah, now what they mean by that, that's the footage of that's Beggar's Canyon. That's the gameplay Canyon. itself. Yeah, yeah, the footage of Beggar's Canyon. Again, it's so it's compressed in such a way that all of the detail of one side of the canyon is lost and it's just one single flat block of one shade of colour. It looks like a much older game than it is for older hardware than it's on. Yeah, the game's not that. Yeah, it's the review itself yeah. that fascinates me. <laughs> they keep saying Vader with an A. Vader. All the way through. They, it, that's how V-A-D-A-R. They, that is how they think it is spelt. 
here. Yeah, it's not just a one-time There goof, is another yeah. way you fight two giant ATAP machines and another way you're on foot battling with Vadar's stormtroopers. And they do it three or four times. This is where you fly an X-Wing fighter through a two-meter-wide tunnel to destroy Darth Vadar's infamous Death Star. And I mean, this is someone who does remember Star Wars because they say things like, this includes flying a T-16 Skyhopper through Beggar's yeah, Canyon yeah. for some trench run practice. And so, yeah, okay, you, so you're one of the nerds who says the references then. <laughs> I mean, doesn't know enough to know that TIE Fighter is spelled capital T-I-E, but still, you know. <laughs> Wait, that's how it is here? What? Capital T-I-E. Twin ion engine. Well, that's what it says, capital T-I-E. Right. Oh, you mean the I and the E are also capital. Capital T, capital yeah, I, sorry, capital yes. E. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what it stands for? Twin ion engine? I didn't know that. I am a wealth of weird random <laughs> shit like that that I have no idea how I have retained. Streets of Rage. The Only Game in Town, Part 4, written by Nigel Kitching, with art by Peter Richardson and letters by Tom Frame. The Street Ragers board the police chopper and learn that it's been sent by Sergeant Ferocio, who turns out to be Blaze's old partner. Unfortunately, they don't make it far before they're shot down and crash on a bridge under construction across the East River. Axel's thrown further from the crash than his pals and left badly dazed, so when the gangs catch up to them, he ends up being stabbed and sent falling over the bridge's edge. A bridge edge. It was with this issue that I think I realised. Yeah. And this is not a negative, but it fell into relief for me, the difference between this and past Streets of Rage once, whereas this whole serial is just one long running scene, isn't oh, it? Oh, God! Aside from the cutaways to Ferocio, yeah. this whole thing is, yeah, it's just one long running action sequence. Yes, you're right. Unlike the previous two, which cut back and forth from scenes, jumped across yeah. periods of time, told multiple stories in parallel basically condensed the entire plot of an 80s action movie down into six five-page chapters. This one is, um, yeah, it's just one long running action scene. Yes, right. And there's nothing wrong with that. It, no, it's still it, perfectly entertaining. It's a good one. But I do feel like it doesn't give us a lot to talk about sometimes. <laughs> well, look at the action scene we're getting. That first panel's fantastic. Mm. It's a nearly <laughs> full-page picture of, start in the top left, helicopter, Rope ladder is coming down from the helicopter with all the main characters clambering up it. So, like, some of them are just tiny little blobs in the distance. Mm. But at the bottom, holding one of the bottom rungs, Max is using the swing to, like, kick straight into the face of a punk, a guy, whose face and the kick are, like, right up to the frame. They're the biggest thing in the mm. frame. His gun's going off into the sky as his arm swings up. There's another guy just frantically waving a Uzi around down at the bottom. There's other guys. Just any remaining space is just full of, like, guys leaning out of gantries and firing guns and yeah. sort of flaming clouds in the background that... Are they diegetically fire clouds, or is that just how it's coloured? I'm not sure. What, yeah, there hasn't been any explosion not on that Not that I remember, no. Has there? No, no, it's no. just... Uh, yeah. so I think that might just, just be... Just the yellow smoke of the city. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Or just the clouds in the sky coloured a fiery sort of way anyway it's wicked <laughs> yeah it is i like these punks on the next page who shoot down the chopper with a with a bazooka yeah. and it's they're all ladies oh that's right four different ones they all have brown hair blonde hair red hair so you can tell them apart but um i don't know there's something 
I like. I just like it. They're, yeah, <laughs> I just like. There's just this random old lady gang who are some of the most heavily armed characters that have appeared in the. <laughs> one thing of them's yet. got this massive rocket. It's nearly as big as the Death Egg one. Just launched. Yeah. strapped to a big thing on her shoulder. Big bazooka. There's one there with uh, grenades pinned to her vest. Yeah. Or uh, one there who seems to have like two crisscrossed bandoliers across their <laughs> across their torso over their shoulders. And these aren't, you know, anybody I think we've seen before. Uh, They're just uh, random characters. They're just extras, but it's that a lot of design work has gone into them. That's what Mm. it is. A lot. Every inch of them is designed. Costume hair. They're not just stock cat now whether they're from streets of rage i can't tell you no i couldn't tell you themself no we must get around to doing some stctp game streams mustn't we we must really we mustn't really we could tell this stuff yeah. we could play at least strange rage yeah, together. Exactly. Strange rage. rage so they hit the chopper with a bazooka yeah. which strangely doesn't blow it up you know just um it sort of it looks like the pilot falls out and then it and it only crashes then because the pilot has fallen out. Yeah, I, I get the impression that it starts a fire in the back, so everyone has to like bail mm. or some or something. Yeah, I'm sorry, not not entirely sure. It's just sort of, it seems like the impact just throws the pilot out because our heroes are still on the rope ladder. Yeah, that's right. And then without the pilot, this crippled chopper, still perfectly functional, however. Yeah gets too close to the bridge and breaks its rotors by colliding with the bridge and then explodes now the bridge it's the east river and yes my memory is that in the early streets of rage they didn't say what city we we're in it was yeah just... they just call it the city yeah I, yeah. I even thought they called it at one point Night City, but that's the name of the city in Cyberpunk, so I could be <laughs> getting that confused. <laughs> right. But but have we previously established that this is New York? Because now it is. I think he always kind of assumed it was. Right. Because, like, anytime anything ever referred to the city, it was always New York, wasn't it? You remember how the turtle? I mean, and, and this is a very era-specific <laughs> pool, but you remember how the turtles didn't live in New York? They lived in the city. <laughs> And how Shredder and Krang wanted to crush the city with the Technodrome, you know. Not the world or New York, it was the city. And then whenever the Tick came out, have you ever watched the Tick back in the day? Yeah, but I don't remember it very well. Well, no, one of the first gags in the first episode of the Tick is where he looks down at the little card telling him where he's been assigned to be a hero, and it's called The City. (laughs) My The City. So, yeah, it's always New York. (laughs) Yeah. Must be so weird being an American and having New York. Like, something I think about sometimes is how, like, you know, like the song, New York, New York. There's loads of American songs about, you know, Sweet Home Alabama and stuff like that. Yeah. We don't, there's no Birmingham song. (laughs) I mean, there probably is, but it's probably a local one that Birminghamites wrote and that they chant at football games. Yeah, probably. And it it sort of doesn't matter. There is a Liverpool one, Fairy Cross and the Hussy. But it's... That's true, yes. Yeah, it's not, it's not something we do. And it, it strikes me as weird that there are people wandering around living in a place that there are songs about. And just being like, well, I live there, yeah. I mean, let's be real. I'm from Ireland, so <laughs> we have lots of songs about here mm-hmm. and the many things that have gone on here. <laughs> so maybe it's just yeah. up there in the Midlands that they don't really go in for song. But as for Streets of Rage, what can we say? Chopper crashes, they're thrown, and then the gangs catch up and they fight some more. Axel's not doing well, and then this fella with like a big spiky gauntlet, big pointy claw finger. It's like Metallics' hands, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, big pointy. St- and this feels like the one instance to date where Streets of Rage was like, ooh, hold on. 
and pulled back a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So what happens is Axel is fighting a guy and he's not doing well, right? And the guy has these knife gloves on and he properly, like, slams his fist, hand, into Axel's stomach. And you can't Yeah, you see, you don't see. even see the impact. Yeah, no, you don't know. Because he's doubled over it. The preceding panel shows him with the fingers outstretched, Out. you know, not displayed, not in a fist. So the implication is, yeah, he's shoved his five yeah. knives that are his fingers. But the sound effect is, whoomph! Yeah, so you're reading this going, okay, if that was a punch with the fingers closed... He's just been punched. If it was yeah. a stab with the fingers open, he's dead. He's gonna be. He's, mm. His intestines are gonna come out like that. He's been stabbed five times, and then we see him kind of spin and fall to the ground. And there are lines on his shirt. sort of yes, as if they were stabbed holes in the, the shirt. Could yeah. correspond with that, but no blood. No. They could be little black, you know, black blood, like you get in comics sometimes to downplay the gore of it. That, yeah. But they, they, it's, they're almost unnoticeable. They could yeah, just because they be blend in with the creases folds. in the shirt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is a weird moment. Yeah. A weird moment? Or, let's give the benefit, a brilliantly drawn moment where the guy is like, well, this won't get through, but I can draw it like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What has happened has been successfully communicated. I don't think I, even as a kid, that I was under any... No. There's something quite visceral about it. I remembered the memory of reading yeah. this the first time around. The the way they don't say what's happened, but and the art does seem to be staged in such yeah. a way to obfuscate it, but... But it didn't really. You, I mean, yeah, he, yeah. there's that close-up panel of those fingies. And the thing is, even though it's Wump, which you can read, mm. it reads more like a punch than anything else... Yeah. If you are punched that hard, you're down by the next panel. But in this, he's still standing there, tottering, going, is that the best that you can... And then he goes, and he kind of twists mm. and falls then. So it's like, if that's a stab, it went woomph. It was a stab with the power of a punch, which only makes it worse. <laughs> wow. See, I, I expect more of like a, a slick or a in a, in a when it comes to a stab. That is up there with the moment when the guy was like gunned down on panel with the most violent thing that's happened in Streets of Rage. I mean, in the abstract, yes. Yeah. But it's not quite... It's not nearly so edgy. No. (laughs) Edgy is still the only world I could use to describe, you know, (laughs) the way Mark Miller framed that scene. Yeah. So I don't know how you... I don't know how he will survive this, is what I'm saying. Well, it's an 80s action movie, isn't it? People survive getting stabbed and shot all the time. But the caption is next issue. You bet your life. Ooh. News zone. Not much very interesting in the news zone, is there? Metalhead Madness coming for the 32X, which is a, a mecha piloting game. Yes, and it's um, described here as uh, the game draws on fellow 32X titles Doom and Virtua Racing Deluxe to inspire a fluid scrolling environment that moves in physical time. <laughs> so that doesn't mean anything. Nope. <laughs> And then it said, Mean Machines. And for some reason, I read it as Micro Machines. Mm. But it's actually Kawasaki Superbikes. Kawasaki Superbikes. It's coming out for the yeah. Mega Drive and Game Gear. So I looked up these two games. Metalhead is, of course, a, a MechWarrior-style game. You are stomping around. It doesn't look, to me, it doesn't look good. I haven't played it, but it, just visually speaking, watching it on YouTube, you're just walking down corridor streets in primitive 3D, and you're aiming a reticule at anything that pops up at the end of the street. Um, But Kawasaki Superbikes looks wicked. It looks good. You're doing exactly what you want to be doing. You are zizzing around a true 3D track, 
and you're sliding around corners and you're doing wheelies and it just looks really good. It, it properly does look like one of those good 3D games from this era. So The uh, the screenshots look quite colourful. I like them. Yes, they don't do justice to the 3D-ness of it, though. They just look like your standard, mm-hmm. the road either goes off in a straight line or curls round to the side. What I was watching was, you know, buildings going by and 3D stuff. They, they've picked screenshots here that make it look like any old Mega Drive or SNES racing game from, you know, the whole time STC's been going. But no, this is a full-on 3D affair. That's good. Does not look like it. No, no. Then in the short bursts... Jelly Boy! Jelly Boy! I remember Jelly Boy. I don't remember if I ever played it, but I remember it. Uh, only this picture. Hours of Wibbly Wobbly Fun are about to hit the Mega Drive with Ocean's offering Jelly Boy. Out in February or March, with a price yet to be announced, Jelly Boy is the character who is dramatically brought to life after being struck by lightning. Ooh. Typo. In Mr. Swirly's Sweet Factory. It's a fun platform adventure set over seven different worlds, such as Toyland, Sandland, and the Undersea Realm. Our hero must collect all of Mr. Swirly's favourite toys and puzzles before he can attempt to confront him and make his bid for sweet freedom. And that sounds like a really mixed up collection of ideas. <laughs> you don't hear Mr. Swirly's Sweet Shop and imagine Mr. Swirly as the final boss, you know? <laughs> You imagine the kindly old man who brought this jelly creature to life? And then the levels Toyland, Sandland, the Undersea Realm, so not aspects of the sweet shop you're trying to escape, just the most generic collection of themed platformer mascot levels going in the mid-90s. Yeah, sweet sweet land, Toyland. No actual through line, no theme to the game itself, just, yeah. And the character design it's the most, uh, like, it's, so it's, I mean, I, I know, don't get me, I like the sound of the game, I've never played it, I don't know if it's any good or not. Our wonderful wobbler comes up against traps, secret rooms, teleports, bonus games in his adventures. However, to help him triumph, he can transform Jelly-like into 27 different objects, including an umbrella, a submarine, and a brick! And I just like that. That's a bit vector manish. It is. The idea that the protagonist can change into like situational things using his jelly form. And his attack is that he doesn't punch with his hands, but a big jelly fist comes out his belly. Yes. And I tell you this character design. It's (laughs) it's just a little it's like a jelly baby. That's all it is. It's it's a it's a featureless. You get you get the sense that this was developed for the jelly baby license who then pulled out. Yeah, who did this again? Ocean. Now, we're Ocean British. Yes. Right, because, God, how British does this sound. But the character design, it's wearing sunglasses, Dave. This is what I get hung up on. Just a jelly baby. It's wearing sunglasses. Wearing sunglasses. Maybe with a little quiff. Well, jelly babies have quiff. Oh, oh, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) But it is proper... I feel we should rostify him by about 10% or so. What do you mean by attitude, exactly? And some brain genius reached in and drew the dark sunglasses on top of the Jelly Baby character design. And that's how we wound up with Jelly Boy, because it was the 90s. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they were drawing sunglasses on Jelly Babies at the time. (laughs) Well, you... You see, it's it's only in moments like this that an air of contempt for this decade comes up (laughs) under me. (laughs) Normally we speak quite fondly of the 90s on here, but sometimes... When I look this game up, it looks incredibly generic. I don't really like the look of this game, you know, even having watched it. When I say watched it, I only ever look at them for a couple of minutes. It's not like I sit down and watch an entire long play, but it doesn't look that interesting. But I didn't find out what this phrase means. Jelly can also get assistance from Helpy, the indestructible rubber slab. (laughs) 
They were really, I mean, they, it was a Friday afternoon when they came up with that character's name. Like, Helpy! Helpy. <laughs> this uh, rubber uh, helping character, uh, Helpy. Pub, 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 pub. <laughs> I think they may already have been quite deep into the pub by the time they came up with that one. And Harry the Duck. This is a game. <laughs> Not to be trifled with. <laughs> oh God! Then it's another. F- I mean, gee, Dave, I you must have had as much trouble reading this next one as I did. I saw yeah. four or five times before I went in. Total football. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, I remembered the name Total Football from the video game, but I didn't realize Total Football was a type of football. No, me neither. Total Football was the name given to the type of football that came out of Holland in the 1970s, with Johan Cruyff hailed as the greatest Dutch player around. Now a manager, he's putting this method to work for his club, Barcelona. At the heart of his tactics is a grease lightning, again with the misspelling, a grease lightning defense. So let's hope Domark's new Mega Drive game, Total Football, has this covered. So that whole paragraph just had sweet buggery all to do with the Nothing to do with the game. game. That was just someone passing comment on the fact that the name of it is something about football that they know. And uh, Chris, <laughs> I asked Jahan about this. He is our sports, sports correspondent. correspondent. Yeah, He knows about football and he says... Yes, that is a real thing. It was, stroke is, an innovative tactical style that basically means all the players should be skillful and adaptable enough to play any position. Normally you have specialists, defenders, attackers, midfielders who stick most of their area. So the way the team plays becomes completely fluid. Anyone can slot it anywhere. The opponents don't know what's coming. Obviously, this is very hard to do. You need an entire team of genius players. And then he helpfully compares it to uh, <laughs> to like an RPG, trying to explain it to me. But I'm like, no, I get it. And then he says, Johan Cruyff was one of these few genius-level players, and he was able to get this style working, both when he was a player and then later when he became a manager. That said, I'd be very surprised if this Total Football video game was called that because it's specifically designed as a recreation of that style of play. That's what I was thinking, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would heavily suspect it's just a bog-standard football game just using it as a cool-sounding name. Yeah, I don't think they knew. No. Then we have Sega at Disney World. Yeah. Anyone lucky enough to be heading off to Florida's Disney World would do well to divert themselves to the Epcot Center there. This part of the theme park deals with futuristic innovations. A new exhibition is looking at Sega's premier arcade technology. The display will feature Virtual Formula, Virtual Fighter, and the riveting three-axis ride-simulating machines, the AS-1s. Forget Mickey Mouse when you can now get to see the next level in arcade action at Disney World. You would have thought it would have been Forget Mickey Mouse, something about Sonic. Yeah. You know, just compare him to another animal. This, reading it, didn't sound very interesting to me for whatever reason. Well, it was in Epcot. It was in Epcot, and it just sounds as if they've, like, in Epcot, they've set up a couple of games machines. But there's a video of it on YouTube by Pixel Game Squad under the title My Retro Life. It looks really cool. Yes, it is basically just a load of arcade machines in a building, but we are talking, like, massive blown-out-of-proportion Sonic art everywhere. They've even got... The weirdest thing is they've got a display stand about that primitive version of the Sonic cartoon that we've covered that was in the poster mag, you know, with Princess Sally Acorn and all of that, and Johnny Lightfoot and all of that. They've got that artwork on a big display that's frankly got a little bit more artwork than I've ever seen before. Oh, yeah, look at it there. 
Yeah. It's that same artwork, but like you get the impression that maybe this is where the artwork was taken from because it's actually got like TV screens. Yeah, yeah, like as seen in the in, in the poster, as seen mind, in the the poster frames, yeah, with the little captions and everything. But also it's got a big drawing of their version of Robotnik like leaning over the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And in the background of the just the drawing of Sonic standing on a hill that we've seen before. Some badniks that we didn't know were in it, like a caterpillar there, drawn in a cool cartoon style. God, I would have loved this cartoon to come out. No, you wouldn't. Yes, I would. It's got Johnny and Porker in it. Well, that is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd have been well, it'd been interesting. Yeah, but I mean, don't forget how crazy the creatures look. You know. No, I no, I like that. I was always a fan of like when they take things and make them cartoonier. It's because of Where's Wally when they did it. When they when I first mm. saw the 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 cartoon redesign of Wally, I was like, oh wow, it's like. But a cartoon, though. <laughs> it wasn't that different, It though. was, it was, if you try... It, it wasn't. Yes, it was. Wally had no, just... His wasn't. chin was like that, whereas Wally in the cartoon, I had to learn to draw better to be able to replicate Dave, it. Dave, are you really going to say yeah, dude. it was the fact that the shape of Wally's chin was slightly different? Are you yes. really, really going to say that's comparable to yes. Beefcake Joe Sushi? No. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. That's what I'm talking about. Right, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. But no, the, the fact that this clearly had some of the right bad nicks in it, many of the right characters, let's put it this way, I would have liked this more than the ones we did get. Put it like that. Yes, uh, no, I wouldn't argue with you there. Yeah. Why didn't we get this? Uh, just one of those things, you know? Bastards. I mean, I'd, it, look, it would still have been as bad as the finished show, is the thing. Yeah, yeah, that's It would have looked different. Yeah, but imagine a world in which... Imagine hands joining across the world when the artists are fans <laughs> of Johnny Lightfoot and Porker Lewis. That is the dream. That is the nice bit. Yeah, yeah. like where we could all have sort of been on the same yeah. page. Like, yes, okay, they would have been different versions. Yeah. But we would all have been so much closer to, be, like, in the grand, you know, leather-bound book yeah. that is the metaphysical entirety of Sonic <laughs> history. Sonic the comic is, like, chapter three, and, and Sat A.M. and Archie are somewhere at chapter 57, <laughs> that far apart in the grand thing. But those two pages would yeah. have been much closer together if the cartoon could have come out looking like this. Yeah, wouldn't it? Ah, the things that never were. But we can see for sure what I suspected from the small art, which is that Robotnik's moustache was going to be white. That is a nope. I still won't commit to that not just being the result of dramatic lighting. Okay, but it... It's consistent over multiple drawings, so it gives me concern. Oh, yeah, but I mean, if like if, if you were specifically having to create that drawing based on that other piece of yes. artwork, like, and you wound up drawing it like that. Yes, that's true. One day, someone will give us all the files they had, and we'll be able to look through it all. Because this stuff keeps popping up, doesn't it? That's the thing about Sonic on the internet. I mean, you say it keeps popping yeah. up, but does it? Yeah, like, we recently got these sketches of, like, what Sat-AM was before it had any animals in it, and they were all just human people with a human Princess Sally and stuff confirming my theory about the Star Wars. But no, but that doesn't confirm your it theory. Does. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. It's, I mean, it does. if you read, because I was looking at yeah. it recently, never having bothered to look at it before, yeah. the Bible for... Uh, oh, I didn't. Version I did Bible for Sat-AM. It's got Human Princess Sally in it. Does it? Yeah, yeah. And oh. I never knew this before, but um, it also mentions Nate Morgan, who what? I thought was an Archie original character, but who was actually created for, for that. And he had no worked with Uncle way. Chuck to create invent the power rings in the original Sat-AM outline. Wow! I know. So yeah, the original vision for Sat-AM was a world where humans and, and Mobians coexisted, which is all terrible garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, looking at this video, this Epcot event does look like a really cool place to be. It is like a festival of light and video games, and uh, I would have loved to have visited it, but I didn't. I would uh, would never be in America for a few years yet at this point. No, I've, I've so, still yeah. never been. Never had a chance. I've missed the boat on this one completely. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Another feature I just realized, it's another page that they couldn't sell an ad for and had to invent something to fit in. So yeah, wow, the ad revenue was not flowing in uh, in January 1995. Name that game. Uh, it's another quiz, and this is not one like our Christmas quiz that we can do online. No. Because to be fair to it, this is a pretty uh, challenging little yeah, quiz. It's all right. This is a bit of fun. Yeah. I mean, it's very badly laid out, which speaks to how quickly they had to throw yes, it together. Yes, and also the screenshots are really badly reproduced, and they're definitely yes. just photographs of TV screens. That they've they, the, yes. the colours are bleached out, and it's you can hardly see anything, and it's all blurs together, which it, to me adds to the charm. But uh... yes, the the shonky charm. Yeah. The quiz is there are ten screenshots here of Sega games, and uh, you have to identify them, and it's a multiple choice quiz with two possible answers on each screenshot, but. The answers are all anagrams, and you have to unscramble the anagrams and then figure out which of the answers is the correct one. But some of them are like, uh, there's a screen cap of what is clearly Cool Spot, and your choices are Aladdin or Cool Spot. But then there's a Bubsy the Bobcat screen cap, and your choices are Bubsy 1 or Bubsy 2. Oh, <laughs> didn't spot that. Or there is a, um, a tennis game screen cap, and your options are Davis World Cup Tour, which I assume is a tennis thing, or Pete Sampras Tennis. Or there's a baseball game. Your choices are RBI baseball or hardball. Or there's a, an American football game and your choices are Bill Walsh college football or John Madden football. And I haven't a baldy notion. <laughs> you know, I mean, I guessed at the first one, which I thought was Pete Sampras tennis because I thought World Cup tour might be a football thing. But then I got on to the second one and the choices were Super Hang On or Road Rash 2. And I don't know. No. I don't know which one's which. No. So yeah, it's a weirdly challenging, shonkily put together little quiz that they needed to fill the page with. Yeah, it's like two separate different tasks you're being asked to do. It's like two different quizzes. Unscramble these names and identify the games. I actually think that makes it a quite a good little quiz. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely better than the uh, Christmas quiz, at least in the challenging stakes. Yeah. <laughs> Carnival Night Conspiracy Part 6 Written by Nigel Kitching Art by Richard Elson Letters by quote-unquote Elita Fell <laughs> But it's really Steve Potter Miscredit <laughs> Knuckles lets the Marxios badniks get in close So he can clobber them all at once then, before the guests can enter the Carnival Night Zone, our red-dreaded hero gets rid of the zone once and for all by striking a fault line that runs along the zone's edge with his mighty strength. The resultant tremor causes the entire carnival to break off from the floating island and plummet back down to Mobius, taking the Marxios with it. Hey, this is good. <laughs> wow! Destroying a crowd of badniks in one punch. Yeah. And there's a big spinning 360 swings his fists all the way around, clobbers them all. Yeah. Yeah, bits of them go popping off everywhere. And by the way, proper classic badniks oh, as well. Yeah. We lamented once in the past that Richard Elson didn't get to draw these very yeah. often. But yeah, these, there's there's crab meats yeah, and caterpillars and buzz bombers and those spiky dudes from the Springyard Zone who weren't in the manual, so I don't know their name. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
punching the ground and a massive earthquake spreads out everywhere. Wow, he smashed the whole zone off the island. Literally punched the carnival <laughs> mate zone off his yes! island. Yes, and you see this wonderful, like, side-on shot of the whole island with the end of it just, like, tipping off and going down. And some really dramatic, weighty shots of that. And uh, mm. Knuckles then turns to the other people and goes, don't worry, the Carnival Night Zone opened its parachute. <laughs> <laughs> With a bit of luck, there'll be some of the emerald power left to cushion the impact when they land. And this is this is just what we were just talking about in the Christmas episode. He turns around and he goes, get off of my island! <laughs> oh, R.I.P. Dame Windsor. <laughs> yeah. And um, the accent gag. Oh yes, that's that's a good one, isn't it? So he punches it off there, and it's it's just floating there for yeah. a moment as the emerald power holds it up before it fits. Mamma mia, we are going to die. We're going to follow back down to Mobius and die. Well, at least I won't have to listen to your stupid phony accent anymore. <laughs> that's great. What a little. Is this the last time we see the Marxios? I don't know. Yeah, because if it is, I don't remember another Marxio story. No. I wouldn't be surprised if they popped back up. Don't tell us. Yeah. Um, but be a surprise. I wouldn't be surprised if they popped up in some villain cram issue down the line but they don't reappear in the length of time that i continued to read the comic before i stopped and i don't i don't know so i I I mean mean, i'm surprised they've lasted this long they're such they're one joke and like i think that joke it doesn't feel as if that joke has been like played out here i think it's no it doesn't feel like it's been beaten into the ground i mean the thing that really it really worked here was because like they were introduced as like the runners of the Casino Night Zone. Yeah. And the Carnival Night Zone yeah. is just Sonic 3's rehash yeah. of the Casino Night Zone. So it made storytelling sense to bring them back to do this again. It worked. It's a great idea. Yeah. But I don't know if they ever find anywhere else for them after this. No. So if that is the end of them, if that is the send-off, what a great punchline. That the whole time, that Italian accent has just been an effect. Yeah, and they, there's this great beat at the very end of the story, like where we see a little kid in the Emerald Hill Zone pestering his mum that he wants to go to the Carnival Night Zone. <laughs> Everyone else has. And she's like, I've told you we can't go. It's too far to travel. And he goes out and he goes kicking rocks. Oh, I wish the Carnival Night Zone wasn't so far away. Bracacum. Yes. Mum, you won't believe what I just did. But then our final beat is on the mark. Yes. Hey, 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 what will Dr. Robotnik do to us when he realizes what's happened? You wait and find out if you want. Me, I'm heading back to Super Moxio World. <laughs> I love the idea. Like, they did mention it in the original <laughs> Casino Night story, but, like, they yeah. are from some there is a awful alternate dimension. <laughs> yeah. And it will be all mushrooms and stuff there. <laughs> They're just going yeah. back to that. As for Robotnik, he's going to have plenty on his mind when Knuckles catches up to him. That kid's a lot tougher than he looks. The end. And we end on a panning shot. We go up to the the island and there's Knuckles stood on it looking all Knucklesy. And he's sorted everything out. He's got rid of them. He's got rid of the tourists. He's back on his own. Knuckles. Ah, oh, Knuckles, can't wait to see you again. It's been a good strip, this, yeah. for, and it's been a good, like, first outing for Knuckles. And he's had, like, the Marxios are good foils for him because they are so wacky and weirdly, wildly cartoonish to go up against such a stoic character as Knuckles. Mm. Yeah, I never thought of that. It's a good balance, isn't it? Yeah. But it's also quite a strange first story for Knuckles. Yeah. Again, it, you can see the line, yeah. you can see the train of thought, like, where the Carnival Night Zone is the strange level. Yeah. In Sonic 3. The other ones are about exploring like the natural environments right, yeah. of 
the floating island, whereas the Carnival Night Zone is something so visibly and clearly man-made. So Kitching sculpts a story about this intrusion upon his island and this this idea that, that the comic's already established for Knuckles as this isolationist character who doesn't want outsiders on his island. It makes this a perfect sense for a story, but it's also kind of weird but like in a fun way you know i mean you know when you would stack it up next to some of the other stuff that the knuckle strip would go on to do exploring and hinting at the mystery of what had become of the echidnas caring for the emeralds investigating the uh, ancient mysteries and mysticism Mm -hmm. of the floating island those feel more of a piece certainly in you know than this story does in hindsight but i still had a lot of fun with it yeah Loved it. I mean, it doesn't hurt to have Elson. Well, that's the thing. So it's less of a first chapter of Knuckles and more of a little sequel pendant story to Sonic 3. It's true. It's sort of the mid-chapter, the bridging bit in between Just to keep it rolling. While while we're not doing Sonic 3 and Knuckles adaptations, it's just, here's this, we're still doing it. The interstitial Kitching and Elson epic. I mean, it's not so true anymore now as an adult reading back on the coming, but as a kid... With Elson drawing this, like, you just knew it was special. Yeah. You knew it was probably more, like, I mean, we gush over Casanova's artwork now, and it's not like I ever thought it was bad when I was a kid yeah. or anything, but it wasn't Elson. Yeah, yeah. That's all there was to it. Like, at this point, those two had been established as the dream team. So when the comic wasn't doing Kitching and Elson epics, it was circling, waiting for the next Kitching and Elson yeah, epic. Yeah, always. You were always going like, will it start this time? Oh, no. Okay, well, wait another two weeks then. And as I say, as adults, that's not in any way meant to, you know, demean the craft no. that went into those stories, but that's just how, as kids, we perceived it. And with an actual Kitching and Elson story happening elsewhere in the comic... Like that's where a lot of the a lot of the focus went. You know, mm. it's odd. Like this is the first time I think Richard Elson has done certainly a multi-part backup strip. Is it his first backup strip? No, he hasn't done anything else besides this. Yeah, this there first. we go. So it stands out, and it should stand out because it's Knuckles. It ends yeah. on, of course, we know that you know we're about to have more Knuckles in the main Sonic strip coming up soon. But mm. it ends on a caption that's the end. Want to see more of Knuckles' own adventures? You know where to write. And that's interesting, because I was genuinely expecting, you know, Knuckles will be back in a few issues' time or whatever, but... Yeah, so I think we just get some uh, Sonic's world and Tails, and then uh, Knuckles gets to uh, gets to take the centre stage again, and then, thinking back, does he ever leave again? I think he might be a permanent fixture after that, I'm not sure. Oh, I do hope so. What a treat if he is. Not a page of adverts! Hey, you may have noticed that in recent episodes we haven't had many pages of adverts, and that's because they are printing them, but they're just rerunning adverts already covered. Yeah. Our policy is usually to only cover it the first time an advert comes up. So in this issue, as in the last one, we've had the same Sabutio advert with um, Vinnie Jones going, I don't know what the problem was, it wasn't even booked. We've had the same 2000 AD yearbook, and now we have the same flip-in X-Men carrier thing that we've had before. Oh, wow, that's but- a bit of- seen that yeah, a few it's times been going now, on and yeah. on and on so i tell you what we don't have for a change we finally don't have hurricanes boy anywhere in the <laughs> issue so has his reign over stc finally been conquered we'll we'll find out in a uh, if he doesn't show up for another couple of issues i suppose so if you've been disappointed that we haven't had all these <laughs> tangents to talk about the pop culture and and materialism of the 1990s in this video game comic, um, and that's why. That's why they're not printing any ads. Yeah. So, and given given how the the noticeable 
filling for material that's going on in this issue could be could be a little bit before we see anything new in this issue he means not this episode of the podcast there's no filling here oh God, no, 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 never, no never never no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well uh, do you remember any toys you had in the 90s right in <laughs> It's the second half of the Sonic and Knuckles special. That's right. And uh, there's almost nothing to mention because they are just once again saying, here's a level and here's a level. I've got a question for you, Dave. Go on. Do you suspect, as I do, Mm -hmm. that David Gibbon couldn't beat the Death Eggs? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Stop. It's come to my attention that we have a surprising number of listeners who not only haven't read Sonic the comic, but aren't remotely interested in Sonic the Hedgehog outside of this podcast at all. Inexplicable though that is, I think they deserve to feel welcome. And so I'm stepping in to give a brief explanation of something that's going to be very important going forwards. Why, in recent episodes, this latter end of the current episode, and in so many episodes to come after it, do we keep speaking in reverent tones of something called the Death Egg? Long-time listeners will have picked up enough context, I'm sure, but here it is for anyone still confused. The final boss of Sonic 2 wasn't waiting at the end of a level like the rest of them. Instead, mimicking Sonic 1's final zone, the boss had a level all to itself. To get there, Sonic dramatically clings onto the hull of a rocket ship, launched out of an airship at the end of the penultimate zone, and stays clinging on as it docks into something big in space. Once inside, you fight the boss and blow up whatever giant space thing you were fighting inside. The level is called the Death Egg Zone. And at the time, it sounded like another of the odd half-English, half-Japanese names that they gave to Sonic levels such as Spring Yard or Scrap Brain. And that would have been that. Except, if you used a cheat code to access the developer's level select screen, you would find that each zone has a little illustration attached to it. And the one for the Death Egg Zone showed a half-unfinished metal ball in space with Robotnik's face built into it. So we discover that Death Egg was an amusing riff on the Death Star, which, if you've also managed to remain unfamiliar with Star Wars, was the final castle of the original trilogy. And that would have been that! Except that when you got to the last level of Sonic 3, the launch base zone, it became quickly clear what was about to be launched from the base. The Death Egg stretched across the whole horizon in the background, this time clearly visible, and was in fact launched at the end, with Sonic hanging underneath only to fall out of the sky and explode when you destroyed the final boss. And that would have been that! Except that when the next game, Sonic & Knuckles, was released, whose standalone gameplay was only a formality compared to its true identity as the final piece in the puzzle that was Sonic 3, combining physically and subsequently digitally to create one massive mega cartridge, the true Sonic 3, we were to discover that the Death Egg and its devastating power was very much the basis of the entire story. In this new game, the Death Egg Zone was once again the final level, this time a complete level set inside the station and the location of the final standoff against Robotnik. And that might have been that! In fact, to many of us it seemed like it was, including old David Gibbon here. But if you got there with a complete set of Chaos Emeralds in hand, having collected them in the special stages, the Death Egg was not the end of the game at all. After it is thoroughly destroyed, the true ending of the game gives you a whole extra level to play in which Sonic, powered up by the Emeralds, hurtles through space towards a desperate Robotnik fleeing with the Master Emerald, about which we will learn more in future issues. That extra final level is called the Doomsday Zone, and this walkthrough 
does not appear to be aware of its existence. And now you know all about what the Death Egg is, you are ready for some of the things about to excite us in the issues to come. He makes such a big fuss about how it's this exclusive to Sonic final level and... It's quite a hard level that will take practice to complete and it singles out the difficult part in Act 1. When you get stuck in a kind of pinball machine, you must turn all the yellow springs into red on the middle. And I don't even remember that in oh, the I do. It's, zone. In no, Sonic I do. It's, you're going sideways. It's like, pong, pong, pong. Oh, that yeah. one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That wouldn't have really compared it to pinball. No, no. It's not, yeah, yeah, it's no, not really okay. a difficult part, exactly. It's just like, it's kind of just a tedious bit that you have to keep hoping yeah. will work. Much is said at the end. Well, here's how it ends. So we've had a load of, of levels, you know. So Lava Reef Zone, Act 1, Hazards, Crushing Spikes, Toximister. By the way... It's Toxomister, isn't it? Not Toximister. And probably, wouldn't but what's Toxomister? I thought that was also a thing, but they are. I never knew if they were called Toxomister or Toxomister, and I don't know why there was that problem, and I could have just looked it up. I don't know. I mean, Toxomister would would be because they spray mist because it yes. releases mist. And yet, I've ty- I've typed Toxomister, and lots of people on different Sonic forums talking about the Toxomister. Well, go to the wiki. I'm on basically the closest to, which is the Sonic Retro page about the Toxomister. They spell it Mister, and there's no mention of Meister. So I guess then it's Mister. A lot of people made the same mistake I did and thought it was Meister, even though I wouldn't have known the word Meister at that time. Whatever. But it ends like this: Sonic. Or Knuckles. Starting from the Lava Reef Zone, Sonic and Knuckles can be seen as two different games, depending on whether you're playing as Sonic or Knuckles. Knuckles, playing as this guy, is so much easier. Less end-of-level baddies to deal with, plus you get to use all those extra abilities, such as gliding and wall climbing. The game comes to completion on the Sky Sanctuary Zone. Mm-hmm. I never thought of it until now as, like, easier. I just thought of it as, like, more ponderous and more interesting as Knuckles, but yeah. Mm. Sonic, as the spiky blue one, you'll have more work to do, but you'll also get to see more of the game. This includes having a fight with Knuckles in the Hidden Palace and taking part in an extra zone called the Death Egg. When he gets to the Death Egg zone at first, he's like, an extra zone that's only accessible playing as Sonic. And I keep waiting for him to say, Doomsday Doomsday Zone. zone. Yeah. And he doesn't. He clearly didn't finish the game with all the emeralds. He didn't get to the Doomsday Zone. No. Yeah, and I guess we can't really fault him for that. But, no, wait, can you only get the Doomsday Zone if you plug Sonic 3 in. I, I swear to God I've heard it multiple uh, ways. I, I can't remember I because no, ever no. since I discovered Sonic 3 and Knuckles, I don't think I ever played Sonic and Knuckles again. I know, why would you play them separately? Hang on, I'm going to look it up. Look it up. No, no, okay, we were had it right the first time. No, you can get the Doomsday Zone right. in Sonic and Knuckles on its own. So it is extra so, clear. Gibbons. <laughs> That David Gibbon did not beat the Death Egg Zone and did not get all the Chaos Emeralds if he was not aware <laughs> of the Doomsday Zone's existence. to finish Sonic and Knuckles. Great Q&A, Dave. Great, great solving. Great work. I would love to go back and... Was it David Gibbon who was talking about how sick he was of the whole Sonic mess when the review... Yeah! It was, yeah. So he just, did, he just couldn't be asked. Just going, oh, God. <laughs> Is it over? Look, I've got to the That must level. do. Oh, David... You never found out. And so, for a while, neither did we. <laughs> Does he mention the final boss? There's a picture of oh, it, but no, he literally just says it's quite hard and mentions the pinball bit, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. He's got nothing yeah, there's else. there's no mention of the boss. <laughs> there's no mention of the boss, and there is on the other levels. He didn't beat the... He didn't, didn't beat it. it. <laughs> 
But he says, if you're still having trouble completing it, watch out for a future Q&A special, I guess, which means people will send in mm. questions and trouble they're having with STC. Next issue, general Q&A. <laughs> a weird thing to trail, but... <laughs> Back to normal. Just general. Next issue. Ah, oh, you know, general. Just, yeah, you know, what you have for tea. <laughs> it should say that at the end of the Sonic strip as well. Next, you know... In Sonic, general Sonic action. He just runs about, you know. <laughs> Marco's Magic Football, Part 4, written by Lou Stringer, with art by Gary Andrews and letters by Elita Fell. Oh, but just before I read the synopsis, Elita Fell and Ellie DeVille are separate people. Yes. I think I, f- I feel like we don't stress that enough <laughs> because we breeze past their names so often that Elita Fell and Ellie DeVille, you could think we were saying, uh, yeah, no, but I had a tweet from somebody that was like, are they different people? No, they're, they're different people, just in case you had forgotten or weren't aware. If you're not looking at the comic and you're only listening to us for whatever reason, it's yeah. Ellie DeVille, like yes. Cruella DeVille, yes. and it's Elita Fell, E-L-I-T-T-A. Elita fell and Elita fell. Come on, come on, come on, keep going. There's got to be more to this. Okay, if they're not on letters, I guess Tom Frame will be. (laughs) (laughs) They sit down and they pick up their best quill. (laughs) It's Ellie, it's Elita fell, or Elita. It's Ellie. Marco emerges from the sewers by a circus, but soon comes under attack from evil clones in Colonel Brown's employ. A sniper shoots the boy, dead, but he recovers thanks to the extra life provided by Captain Smirk and dispatches the baddies with his football. He then heads for the Colonel's toy tower where his ball is lured away by a female football (laughs) created by the Colonel's evil scientific genius, leaving Marco to face the Colonel's evil toy army alone. Yeah, so like the yeah the, the the highlight of this trip is when a sniper Elmer friggin Fudd. It's Elmer Fudd. Yeah. It is Elmer Fudd, but in like a backward baseball. Yeah, cap. It like it Not only it only kind of looks like Elmer Fudd because because of, the, of the, the face of Elmer Fudd. It, I mean, it's not Elmer Fudd, but it really looks like Elmer Fudd. It is the face of Elmer Fudd in different clothes. Yeah, and he's got a a gun or a rifle or a sniper gun or something, and he just shoots Marco. Now, what we see is Elmer shooting his gun and the edges of the panel have kind of like zigzaggy sort of speed line cut in yeah. things and but then in the next panel which is like shot from way above them in the air he's marco is a dead child on the floor face down lying in a fear yeah. <laughs> having been shot to death it's like like streets of rage was less explicit <laughs> When someone got gunned down. I mean, like, I get why you're (laughs) laughing. It is so silly. It's it's silly in an outrageous, not in a humorous way, in an outrageous way. But Tim, and I'm I'm trying not to be dying on the strip, but it does, I know, but not like, (laughs) it's not meant to be humorous. (laughs) It's it's hard, it's just so wild. But it does illustrate to me how by the numbers the Marco strip I think I was trying to I was trying to say this right. last time, but it wasn't coming ap- across like as a video game adaptation. How much it does feel like it's just sort of checking the boxes. He's off. doing all the things in the game, and here's how we do an extra life. The fact that the extra life, yeah, has happened 
two pages after he got it you know at the end of yeah. last issue and it's gone again already it's not a plot element it's not something that was given to him in the third chapter to then pay off at a dramatic moment in the uh-huh. sixth chapter which is what you might expect something like that would be done it's just in and gone and done again because it's something that had to be checked off the list of video game stuff to put in the strip you know oh, well i quite like it i there's something about acknowledging this stuff no i don't mind the acknowledgement of it you understand it's the way it's executed you could do an extra life idea and have it mean something where you get to the final chapter and it's the dramatic showdown colonel brown thinks he's killed him and then he but no he's alive and he and it gives him the opening he needs to save the day and win everything and it meant something it was set up and payoff and this this scene didn't need to happen yeah there's, this doesn't advance anything, it doesn't facilitate anything, it's just, here's the circus bit from the video game, and and we'll use up the extra life we literally just introduced two pages ago, because it's something to get off a checklist. In order to check this, I'm looking through a video of this level. So the sniper is from the game, it's not yeah, quite it, as much like Elmuffa, but nearly, but not this level. It had to be, didn't it, you know? It's the fact that the clown even just calls him Sniper, like it was his name. You know, like it's just what they're listed under in the enemies section of the manual or something. Yeah, it's just that it would change it for me if he wasn't from the game, because then it would literally just be a way to have Marco be killed. (laughs) Yeah, but it isn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't argue with that. It just doesn't really concern me. Something to do with the way... Something to do with how silly the rest of the strip is, and they are just sort of mucking about a bit, and then there's the female ball. I suppose, I, I don't know for yeah, no, sure. It, the... It's it's bizarre, and mm. it, it, it's like, you laugh at it because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so not of a piece with the tone of the rest yeah. of the strip. Uh, there's corpse lying in the middle of the field next to the circus tent right there shot dead by a shotgun rifle wielded by at the (laughs) it's yeah it's 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 outrageous i just it's not i mean i was gonna say it's not the concept but even the concept is a bit outrageous but i think it's just so incongruous with the surroundings as well of the the circus and everything if colonel brown had done it in the final showdown it wouldn't feel quite so weird i don't think but yeah, and then yeah, then we get the female ball wooing the football. I do <laughs> like this bit of dialogue um, bit. where they get to the tower anyway, and he says, "This is it, football, our showdown with the colonel." And then he says to himself in narrative captions, "Talking to my football." Well, it had been a long day. I mean, it's magic, but it's not alive, is it? And then the ball struggles to get out of his hands and bounces off after this. This really made me laugh because what he's bouncing off after is this. This anthropomorphized sex ball. Yeah, we saw this in the final panel of last yep. issue. Yeah, and it's still it's winking its uh, heavily eyelashed, you know, mascara eyes, and it's doing kissy faces with its big lipsticky lips. And the ball, just a football, is bouncing after it with all little hearts going out. Yeah, I just find that really funny. I find that inherently funny that you can just you can just essentially sexually attract anything. Yep. <laughs> it's an inanimate object. I have to say, I don't think the final panel really sells the terror. No, do you? yeah, it's like, um, yeah, he's shouting after the ball, don't go in there, it could be dot 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 dangerous. And the last panel is that thing where the danger is revealed and they go dot 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 dangerous. But the danger is just some little toys. 
in a big room yeah. that there's loads of room to get around them and out of the way and yeah it's not a well staged panel some little toys are coming I mean generally speaking I feel like the art on this one doesn't have a lot of the strengths we were talking about last issue we're back to having lots of big blank empty backgrounds again or very simple colour effects or just um, complete monochrome backgrounds or just white voids not even backgrounds that's true and I can't refute it but I sort of just like the art on this one so it doesn't bother me particularly. See the panel on the top of the last page of Marco approaching the tower, and instead of... I mean, if, you, if I give you the direction of anything where you show a character approaching a tower, you're yeah. going to do a ground-level shot looking up at the, yeah, menacing the big menacing silhouette of the tower over you. And instead, this is a shot from the ramparts of the tower looking down at a featureless green field across which Marco I walks. I can see why this happened. It's because the panel that we want here was already the previous panel. And that was because we had to have voices coming out of that tower, but without him yeah, approaching it. Yeah. I think what I would do then is a kind of drawbridge's eye view of looking down on the boy looking up. And that would be the dramatic shot. Yeah, but here, yeah. yeah, he's just sort of wandering along a, a very big field of green with a little tent in the background you could have done a tent it really does make it feel like there is nothing in north sterlington except for this tower yeah. the circus yeah. and the street he lives on <laughs> and maybe there's not it is a town in the new <laughs> so you know there's n there might not be a lot going on up there but anyway two more parts to this left and we'll see what we see in yeah. the end of it I'm just wondering if there's anything a bit more exciting that doesn't quite... F I mean, like, like, yes, this female football thing is very silly, but at least it's an original... Maybe original's not the right word, but at least it's an idea that's not checking off something from yeah. the video game. Unless it is. I suppose I ought to... I'm pretty sure it's not. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> but uh, I guess we'll just see how the rest of it plays out. I'm not particularly excited or interested in finding out but we'll see oh well i'll stand up for it then because i love this it's I, something about how Dave, do you love it yeah or is it amusing to you i mean look i don't love it like i love the sonic 3 and knuckles adaptation but i i mean you've got to remember like we're in a comic here we've just had streets of rage knuckles and sonic no i love this yes it's a different love but it's a love because this is my buster love this is my um you know core big funny uh love here it's just silly little comics and they don't matter and it doesn't matter what happens in them and they're just fun and i'm it's a, it's a whole industry that died and i'm sad yeah but buster told those stories in a page yes this is four pages that wants me to seriously believe a child was shot by a sniper <laughs> i like it i can't i can't you can I... get that in buster and i don't know if that's good or bad perhaps i can't <laughs> justify it but i just i like it I don't know why. Fair enough. Fair enough. Just, well, we're not silly. really out to justify our love in these podcasts. So. Okay, here's why I think it is. I think it's because when I was growing up and I was reading those sorts of throwaway comics and I was drawing those sorts of throwaway comics. And yes, there was the transitional period, which frankly was this comic. But when you hit like 15 and you start finding out about manga hmm. and you start thinking about comics as like, oh, you could use comics to tell epic stories. I think I'm now in a kind of reverse thrust from that, where I'm like, oh, I miss when comics were just daft. <laughs> and this is just daft. I mean, it is, but, I, like, like, it's not that funny. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a good example of a daft comic. I uh, love a well, daft comic, but it's not a good example of one. Now, that's, the, that's another interesting thing, because, like, 
It reminds me of my my friend who used to be an avid Beano collector and and me. We were looking through his Beanos one day and we we were criticizing it. We were being little 10-year-old critiquers and we were going, "Look at this picture." <laughs> and it was an advert for itself in the Beano. I think maybe it was for like the subscription service. It was a picture of a child reading the Beano and laughing his head off. And we're like, "Well, you don't laugh at the Beano." You don't laugh when you're reading the Beano. You just read it. <laughs> you just it just things happen in it, and then you stop reading it, and that's the end of that. With of course the exception of Calamity James, which is where you laugh. Of course, the rest of it you just and that wasn't a downside. That wasn't us having a go at the beat. We didn't. It didn't occur to us you were supposed to find it funny. It was just these are the people. They're having these, and they've got different gimmicks. They do these things, and I wonder, did I ever laugh at Buster? I genuinely, I don't think I was in it for that. I think I was in it for like. Oh, what'll happen to this kid who can draw really well? What'll happen to this kid who's got a little ball that can turn into anything? And in this case, what'll happen to this kid who kicks footballs at things and there's slime and stuff? That being said, I don't remember actually really engaging with this strip at the time. So I think it could be a, a retrospect feeling. Perhaps. I do like the sound effect for boot, either way you put it, though. <laughs> you know, I was I do agree with you there. Far boot. <laughs> I mean, the sound effects on this one they do seem to have been done by um, yes, the artist definitely. rather than by the editor. Well, maybe Elitafel did the one on the second page, which is another really good kicking a football sound effect. Oh no, I think that's done by the artist as well. Yeah, it could be. I'm not sure, but I was actually queuing you is, up to do your best impression. The sound, of the sound effect, effect is Kadufia. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a proper Buster Rubino-y kind of sound effect. I can get with that. You know? Kadoofia. Oh, you wouldn't have to... It's the ya. That doesn't need to be on there. Yeah. yeah. Or like when you hurt yourself and you're like, oof ya. Yaru! Or <laughs> the time I was running around on the playground near a brick wall and someone, and I can't even fault them for this, simply stuck out a foot because I was running towards a brick wall and I went straight over headfirst into the brick wall. An actual cartoon lump came up on my forehead and when the headmaster himself was called to come and look at it, he peered at me and went, Oof, yeah. <laughs> and it was I don't know whether he did it to bond with me, but that's the effect it had. <laughs> no, I believe that all the weird comic book sound effects that everybody made in the Beano were real expressions of pain <laughs> yeah, oh, from yeah. the 1930s that have simply transitioned out of use <laughs> that were only remembered and used by old people. <laughs> I love the artwork in this one. I am deeply amused by <laughs> the fact that they have reprinted from last issue, presumably by error, the box apologizing for the error in which they reprinted the letters on the Speedlines page. That it's one the time. exact same one and it can't be deliberate. Hume error. It was no, obviously all that muddled yep. lemonade over Christmas. Remember, listeners, that muddled the minds of the Humes who think they're in charge. Unfortunately, the letters printed in Speedlines issue 40 were repeated from issue 39. Oh, the beautiful symmetry of it. Yeah, it's like for the same reason you didn't notice yeah. this last issue because your eyes just glaze <laughs> past that box, which is usually just about telling you when the letters, the prizes were posted out. They forgot to <laughs> change it out on the template it this just, time. It just, you, the eye back. glides over it and it's just still there. Yep. And the thing is, it's not as if it doesn't, you know, provide a service here because last issue wasn't the issue after it either, I don't think. I think... But no. it obviously wasn't deliberate. 
And I love it. No. Oh. Yeah. Well, in great contrast to our mirth, <laughs> Ian Fielding from Waterlooville has written in with a letter they've headed up Major Moner. And he says, Dear SDC, back in issue 22, which is a good long time ago, <laughs> by the way, you were really holding this in, Ian. Back in issue 22, your mag was a pile of junk. The fab... <laughs> Sonic Strip revealed that Dr. Robotnik had changed into that weed from the rubbish cartoon series. I was dead disappointed as I was hoping for an evil twisted robot or a monster hell bent on beating Sonic to a pulp. Wait Finally, a minute. Wait a minute. This isn't you, is it? Writing under a pen name. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I sympathize. Finally, I don't agree with those readers who like the Tales series. I thought it was a pile of poop. <laughs> And Megadroid responds, eh, It's nice to know that you feel comfortable enough with STC to express your innermost feelings, Ian. Next time, keep them to yourself. Sass! <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, I mean, I sympathise, but yeah. come on. At least you couldn't accuse them of only ever printing letters that That's were That's the thing! I quite like that they do print the bad one. I mean, any comic that ever did this would do so tactically. Where they would print them in... I mean, I don't know how many bad ones they ever got. You can't imagine that they got that many, because who didn't bother writing it? But when they printed them, they'd only ever print them just sparingly enough so that you got the sense that everyone was against yes. them. <laughs> you know? They were the lone dissenting voice in the crowd, you know? And you were sitting there, and if you agreed with him, hey, you agreed with him. But if you didn't, you were like, ah, look at this grump. What's he even reading the comic for? 22 issues? That's six months ago. <laughs> More than six months ago. It's good ago, ago. Yeah. Kitchings cooking. Like the lead strip, there's a, an apostrophe issue. There here, isn't. By the way, because we now have the script, we know for sure it was That's supposed right, yes. to be Bad Nick's apostrophe bridge. A bridge belonging to plural to Bad Some Bad Nick's. Here in the title of the thing, it's just Badnik's Bridge with no apostrophe. A bridge of Badnik's. But on the front cover, Badnik apostrophe S, bridge. A bridge belonging to a singular Badnik. Yeah, or a Badnik that is bridge. <laughs> or maybe the Badniks just play bridge <laughs> in their off-hires. So, so yeah, this letter is headed, Kitchings, no apostrophes at all, Kitchings yes. Cooking. Dear STC, Following the release of the Sonic and Knuckles game, are you going to include new Sonic stories featuring the Mushroom Hill, Doomsday, and Lava Reef Zone? Oh, they know about the Doomsday Zone. They know about the Doomsday Zone. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> and that's from Stephen Turner of Accrington. Accrington Stanley! Who are they? Lancashire. Now get off. And what does Megadroid have to say about all this? <laughs> Script droid and all-round general clever clogs Nigel Kitching is turning out new story ideas faster than it takes Robotnik to lose his rag. <laughs> Meanwhile, watch out for The Mystery of the Sandopolis Zone, starting in STC 47. 47? Oh, that's only three issues yeah. away, Dave. That's it. Do you not, that's well, where it begins. That's it. The Mystery of the Sandopolis Zone feeds into exactly. Prelude to Doomsday feeds into Doomsday. This is it. It's it begins. just that I've had context clues and I'm about to have another one that made me think it started next issue. We'll talk about that in a moment. Okay. Well, I refer to this big b right here on the opposing page. Ah, you don't remember. Okay. No. Well, that'll make. Um, okay. <laughs> well, we'll, I'll, we'll say okay. that in a minute then. Okay. Uh, then we round it out with one from Jonathan Wallace of Heinold in Essex, probably. 
Hair Today, the letter's called. Dear Megadroid, I think the best series in STC so far has got to be Knuckles. So there we go. Jonathan is writing in about a serial from within yeah. the last six issues, and Ian over here still carrying a chip <laughs> on his shoulder from something 22 issues ago. Get over it, Ian. Also, Knuckles' hairstyle looks exactly like my mum's when she gets out of bed in the morning. <laughs> and Megadroid replies, Ah, so your mum's a fiery redhead then, Johnny. As long as your dad has more on top than Dr. Robotnik. And then, in brackets, baldest <laughs> comment, Ed. We've got an Ed, we've got a Megadroid. There's all sorts going on in STC. I know, I, I'm not big on Ed's cutting into Megadroid. No. But that's because Megadroid is the editorial He's voice Ed. for the strips. Yeah. So, you know, whenever uh, Megadroid does the uh, footnotes in the comic strips... He's the man in charge. And then the idea that there's some Ed above him who interrupts his. It's too many layers. Yeah. <laughs> too many layers to this sonic trifle. Wouldn't it be fun if Jonathan Wallace here was related to James Wallace, author of Sonic in the Fourth Dimension? Uh, that would be fun. Mm, interesting. Now we're on the bit that I've been waiting for, which is the fan art. <laughs> yeah, I think the theme Just... for artwork on this Speedlines was cracked out bizarreness. <laughs> I love this. This is... Oh, this I love is them the, too. I, okay, so, Martin Helliwell, Martin with a Y, from Huddersfield, West Yorkshire, Master System owner, has drawn what can literally only be described in one way, and that is Amy Rose with no head. That's it. That's, That's all it is. That's it. It's Amy Rose. No further she gimmicks. no head on her. No explanation. No pun. No reason. No props. She's just there. Oh, no gloves. She's just there with her no hands out. In. No head. Looking quite distressed. <laughs> like, whoa. In like, as much as one can look without a way to provide an Where's expression. Where's head gone? Arms outstretched. <laughs> Where's me head? Yeah. Just no head. And they've captioned it, uh, no eyes and yep. headless. Yep. No eyes and headless. Is that a reference? Is that supposed to be a reference to something? I don't know. I don't know. Strange. But it is correct. And it's probably, I mean... Conceptually, it's stranger <laughs> than what uh, Lerna McKnight from Leicestershire has delivered over on the other piece of artwork here, though perhaps not as strange looking. And she specifies that she is a Mega Drive 2 owner. <laughs> Ooh, la -da. She's delivered a picture that has been captioned multi-personality, and it's, uh, it's a mashup of Sonic, Tails, Dr. Robotnik, Amy. I think Amy, because there's a yep. few pink spines in there. And Megadroid! Megadroid! <laughs> I love it! We were saying it last issue, I love when they send in pictures of Megadroid! Whenever they think of Megadroid as one of the main characters in SCC, it's the yeah. best. Yeah, the, okay, so so picture this in your head. If Megadroid's you head, if you can. Megadroid's head, but with Robotnik's moustache yep. and head point. <laughs> yeah, the big flesh cone from the top of Robotnik's head and it just is perched flesh on top colored. of Megadroid's head. Yep, yeah, it's not, just on top. Not yellow like Megadroid. Nope. Big lump of flesh. Sonic's body, but it's kind of it's kind of big Sonic to body. fit all the other details in. He's got blue and pink alternating spines down his back. He's got yep. two. Well, I'm going to describe them as tails. Um, <laughs> they're not they're not very well drawn. Fair play to them, but they are tails as tails. They are simply thin appendages but they are tails is tail they are two long fingers yeah <laughs> coming out of his boom um one sonic arm the other megadroid arm in the classic childhood drawing pose where it's a side-on view and the far arm is sticking straight out so that you can tell that it's there yes one sonic's foot a uh, leg and one tails's leg and they have the appropriate different shoes on for those characters i wonder if that 
sonic arm is not maybe supposed to be an Amy arm. Oh yes, it's pink because it is the same and the pink tummy as is not Amy's pink. Spikes. Yes, and it's not. Yes, it's not the flesh You're tone right. color. Absolutely that right. He's there. used for the Sonic and Robotnik uh, bits, even though Sonic's arm should be pink or flesh tone, which is why you read it as a Sonic. Of course, arm. it could be Knuckles' arm, because as we all know, hashtag it's not Knuckles is pink. Knuckles was pink, but it doesn't have the knuckles. So that's oh, yeah, yeah, true. Well, yeah, yeah, but it still might be his arm, <laughs> but with someone else's hand. <laughs> Just his arm and Sonic's hand on the end. <laughs> yeah, so uh, thanks for that, Lorna, and wow. You know, Dave, I have to admit, I almost said there, but it's not red. <laughs> I've bought into the uh, propaganda, you know. I mean, I, we try to fight with this hashtag and uh, preach the truth, but when you said Knuckles' arm, I almost said... But it's not red. Truly, I must turn in my card. I'm proud of you for admitting that because, the, you know, you'd got away with it. I know, but I felt like I couldn't live with the burden. You just did the equivalent of the time my parents drove all the way back from home to the pub they'd forgotten to pay for their meal at. Just to pay for the meal. Oh, bless. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that brings us to the end of another issue. Next issue, free Sonic the Valentine's card. Uh, getting this one out in advance of the holiday so you have time to give it to someone. Of course. I love that it's Sonic the Valentine's card. Not, Sonic not a Valentine's Sonic Valentine's card. It's Sonic the Valentine's <laughs> card, as in Sonic the comic, Sonic the sticker, Sonic the poster mag. <laughs> Do you reckon there was much crossover between readers of STC and children who wanted to hand out Valentine's cards to anybody? Uh, can't imagine there was. <laughs> I had no interest in this. And therefore... It's still on the comic. Oh, snap. What a sad tale that tells, but yeah. <laughs> Make a date with Robotnik in Day of the Death Egg. And there is. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, it's a Richard Elson drawing of the Death Egg taking off. Probably the coolest next issue picture so far, maybe. Unless maybe a Knuckles one. Maybe a Metallics one, but good God, this. It's the... Pr the oh, and for the first time... The real Death Egg. Even in this issue, when we had mm. Casanova's drawing the Death Egg right at the end of the strip, it was still the kind of guesswork Death Egg, where it's an egg-shaped thing with just random circular like bits yes, on it. This is the proper round Death Egg with Robotnik's face down yes. at the bottom of it, yes. But Dave, you obviously do not remember this strip since you no. have expressed your confusion. I do, but I think it will mean you will have a more enjoyable reading okay, experience cool. next time. <laughs> Plus, Mr. X is cross <laughs> in Streets hey, of Rage. Do you get it? X is cross. <laughs> Welcome back to Sonic's world in Enter the Cybernick. Oh, God, that was quicker than I thought. Yeah, we were just talking about him the other yeah. day. I'll have to tell Abby Denton when she's due on then. And the toys are alive in Marco's Magic Football. STC 45, guaranteed to make your heart beat faster. On sale Saturday, the 4th of February, 1995. It still I looks know. weird to me seeing the 1995 written down Whenever there. I have a chance to describe this podcast, like I'm guesting on another podcast and they say, describe, you know, what do you want to plug? And I always want to say... You know, join us in 1993. And it's not as 1995. It's a completely different universe. I always think of it as 94 because that was our first full start to finish calendar year. Right, yeah. But 1995, it's not the same as 1994 in a way I can't properly articulate. What a time. 1995. I love 1995. I would go back there 
if I could. Well, you can, or you can do the closest <laughs> thing possible in every episode of Sonic the Comic, the podcast this year. Uh, when you're looking for those new episodes to transport oh. you back to those bygone days, you'll be able to I'll find them anywhere that podcasts are available or download them directly from our website at stctp.wigglehe.com. Or you can follow the podcast on Twitter. It's at Sonic Podcast, and we have our own separate uh, accounts on there as well. I'm Demon Tomato Dave. And I am at Chris McFeely, and we're both on YouTube as well you can support the podcast on patreon if you go to patreon.com slash stctp you'll be able to get access to exclusive monthly videos that we do where we look at the martin adams series of sonic novels that were published in the uk and you watch my suffering as dave reads me his angst-filled sonic teenage fan fiction in which i'm reliably warned characters will do a sex at some point <laughs> It's the way you say it. It's it's just so it warms the heart. Um, you can write to our mailbag at stctpodcast at gmail.com and uh, send us your letters for the Speedlines page. Our editor is Sam Gabriel, whose work you can find at samgabrielvo.com. Our opening theme was synchronized by Sonic the Comic the Band, who you can find at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. But we have been Sonic the Comic the Podcast, and we will see you next time. Are you, are you are you ready? Flixwen Squirrelbid Tremflops Twadgwiddle Flixwen Squirrelbid Tremflops Twadgwiddle 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 Twadgwiddle